we welcome you, those of you who are in the service today. We welcome those of you who are uh, watching online, and we welcome those of you who have been promoted today for sure. But uh, I got to admit, uh, today we are continuing in the book of Romans. We are in chapter 13 today, and I got to admit, I had to step out of my own understanding a little bit of this. This is I've wrestled with this sermon this week probably more than any that I've wrestled with in a, in a long time. Even last night, as I'm sitting on the couch, a little bit of television, thinking, you know... I could just pull an old one out and, and preach it tomorrow because uh, uh, I'm not real sure um, if I can give you 100% this is what you should do kind of uh, a message today. This, these are some things that I think we're all going to have to wrestle with a little bit and I think we all have to pray for some understanding here today. Uh, I've reached out and gotten some thoughts from some other uh, folks that I know, such as uh, Jeff Strite, Bob Russell, John Weatherly. So this message is a combination of some things that, uh, that they've taught before and then mixed in with uh, the Word of God and, and His Holy Spirit. Hopefully we'll walk away from here today accomplishing His will for our purposes here. But before we dive in, I do want to pray about this. So would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word. I know that every single bit of your word is useful for, for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking if necessary. Uh, and Lord, I pray that today uh, your word does just whatever it is that needs to happen in each of our lives. And I know that that can be different for each person. And so, Lord, I pray um, for that to happen during this message today. And we pray that uh, what I say today are your words, not mine or even some of the folks that I've gotten some, uh, some help from this week, um, but they would be your words. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. It was August 1994. Some of you might remember the story when a Korean air jet uh, was getting ready to land and it skidded across a rain-soaked runway and it rammed into a safety barricade. There were 160 passengers on board uh, and uh, just before the plane exploded into flames every single person escaped and no one was injured but you know what the cause of that accident was according to news reports the pilot and the co-pilot mid-air got into a fist fight over who was in charge of the landing controls now you'd have thought that maybe they had this worked out before the plane ever left the ground I'm not real sure uh, but you would have thought that. They forgot who was in charge, you know. They, they just didn't realize that, that because they didn't have their ducks in a row that they were endangering other people's lives. Uh, they were endangering the lives of their crew. They were endangering the lives of all of the passengers. And they also destroyed a very expensive piece of aircraft. All because they didn't know who was in charge. And I think a lot of times conflict arises in our own lives, conflict arises in the church, conflict arises in our society because people forget who's in charge. We all want to be in charge, amen? Don't we like to be in charge? Don't we like to have it our way? Well, God clears it all up for us when we look at Romans chapter 13. And here's what it says beginning in verse 1. Again, just for clarification, I didn't write this. God wrote this. Okay, so here's what it says. Everyone, so who does that include? 
Everyone, okay, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Okay, you're still with me. All right, good. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also keep a clear conscience. Have any of you ever been reading scripture and you get done reading a certain scripture and you go, I don't know if I like that or not. Has anybody ever been there before? Or maybe we, we say, and I've, I've, I've said this many times, I wish the Bible didn't say that. I wish the Bible didn't say what it said right there, but it does. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And in a time when our nation seems to be growing farther and farther and farther apart politically, socially, spiritually, it's really tough sometimes to obey what God has said here. It's really tough for us sometimes to submit to the governing authorities. Can I get an amen to that? Makes me think of a story about a lame duck president uh, who was meeting with his successor in the Oval Office right before uh, he took over the reins. And near the end of the orientation, the outgoing president presented the incoming president uh, with three numbered envelopes with specific instructions to open them in order when great difficulties arose. And so after the new president's honeymoon period was over with the media and with the public, the nation experienced an economic downturn. And he opened the first envelope. And inside the card, it read, blame me. And so he did. And he began criticizing his predecessor. After a while... Um, uh, another crisis arose. This time it was more domestic in nature. And so the president thought he should open the second envelope. And when he did, there was a card in it that said, blame my party. And so he did. And he just laid it on thick, a really, really thick display of partisan politics. About a year later, foreign policy resulted in some serious problems overseas. And the president opened the third envelope. And inside the card, it said, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> Doesn't that sound about right? Everybody blaming everybody else. Nobody wanting to support the other side that they're on, even if they might happen to agree with something that the other side might have said. Well, we don't want to show our support for them because somebody might think I'm, you know, I've switched or, or you know, something crazy like that. But this scripture says anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Now, now when I say rebel, I'm not saying you just have to blindly fall in line with all of the policies of what somebody might be putting out there. But it's talking about full on rebellion here. 
And I wish it didn't say that because I don't know if there's a single person alive that I agree with 100% all the time. I don't even agree with myself sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever made a decision and then months down the road you think about that decision you think, man, that wasn't very smart at all. I wish I hadn't done that. Right? I don't even agree with myself. I've made decisions in my life that I know were not wise decisions. And so the chances of you being totally satisfied with the decisions of an earthly authority are very, very slim. But look what 2 Peter or chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. So you, you catch what God is saying here. God is bigger and he is more powerful than anything that exists on the face of the earth. And that means any government of any nation, he is more powerful than and he's in control. We don't have to panic. We don't have to try to grab the controls from God. And we definitely like the unrighteous because the Bible says the unrighteous despise authority. And so if we forget that God is in charge, we run the risk of getting ourselves into a lot of trouble. And here's a sobering thought I think we would do well to take into consideration. God puts earthly authority on the same level as honoring him. In, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 28, God declared, you must not dishonor God. And he follows that up by say, or curse any of your rulers. He literally puts these two concepts on the same level playing field. God no more expects you to curse him than he would expect you to curse your rulers. And I got to tell you. That's not easy for me. And I know that's not easy for a lot of you either. But I want you to think about this. In Acts chapter 23, Paul, Paul was arrested. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. Paul's first statement to the group was to say this. Brothers, I've lived my, my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the leaders didn't like it. Okay? At this point, there's a guy by the name of Ananias commanded those who were next to him to strike him on. Right? And that doesn't sit too well with Paul. Paul's slap him on the mouth. Paul's like, no, wait a minute. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? So that was basically in that day and age, Paul was really just giving it to him. We're sitting there going, what's that even mean? And, and he's like, he's giving it back to him. And then someone sitting next to Paul says, would you revile God's high priest? In other words, are you really going to talk to God's priest like that? The person that God placed in authority, you're really going to talk to him like that? And you know what Paul's response was? Paul was like, whoa, I didn't know. I didn't know that's who it was. And he backs down. 
And, and, and even up till last night, I'm, I'm thinking this through and I'm thinking, you know, this passage of scripture, I'm thinking about governing authorities and I'm thinking about how they're in charge and all this kind of stuff. And when I read this, this kind of flips over even to spiritual authorities. And I'm thinking, is God saying to us, we're going to be held responsible for how we talk about our elders? Are we going to be held responsible for how we talk about those who have been ordained by God to carry out His mission? Do not speak evil or curse the ruler of your people. And, and, and so I don't want to get into that part, that spiritual part of it, right? I know that sounds bad. I'm preaching. I don't want to get into the spiritual part. I, I don't want, not, not right now. We'll touch that whole church leader thing at another time probably. But what that means for us politically is if you're a Democrat, don't curse the Republican. And if you're a Republican, don't curse your Democrat leaders. Don't belittle them on Facebook. Don't make fun of them around the water cooler at work. Don't rejoice when their people do stupid stuff. And we all know that the leaders in the other party are more prone to do stupid stuff than the folks in your own party. Amen? You don't have to agree with everything that they're doing. Yeah? You can do your best to vote them out at the next election. But I think we've got to be real careful how we dishonor people that God has put in place. And I've really, the, the thing that really gets me is when I think about this, I think about how God, the leaders all around the world, did, did God allow Vladimir Putin to become that, the ruler? what it says did, did God allow I can't even think of his name the guy in North Korea somebody know that yeah Kim Jong yeah yeah I, I'm sorry senior moment there I'm not a senior yet but I'm working on it and and did God allow yeah he did I think the problem is we are looking for our answers in the wrong place we are looking for that earthly person who is going to satisfy our need or that earthly person who's going to lead us in the right direction. Billy Graham tells the story of a man looking for his wallet on the street. Someone asked him what he's looking for. He said, I lost my wallet. The other person said, where'd you lose it? He said, oh, I lost it about a block up the street. The guy said, well, why are you looking here? He said, because there's no street light here. That's just dumb, right? Is it possible that a lot of us are looking for our answers to everything in life in the wrong place? That we want the government to be the answer to all that we want or need? See, I don't think the answer to the world's problems is in politics or even in our protests. Our answer to America's problems is in preaching the gospel. And nowhere in Scripture are we ever told to belittle our government leaders. In fact, just the opposite is true. And again, I struggle with this. And if you don't if you don't trust God, then I say curse him all you want. But if you're going to sit there and you say I trust God, then you can't do it. Cuz Paul said, and this is how the message paraphrase writes these first three verses of Romans. Be a good citizens, 
All governments are under God insofar as there is peace and order. It's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God. And God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Now what's interesting is that God seems to play by these same rules that he asks us to abide by. Another thing that I thought about this, this, uh, this week is that, okay, we've got examples in Scripture of really, really bad leaders that God had to deal with. And are we thinking, did God place them there? You look at the book of Exodus. We read about the fact that Israel had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They were slaves in that land. Finally, God sent a man by the name of Moses to go to Pharaoh and declare, let my people go. And when Moses appears before Pharaoh, it's the first time Pharaoh says, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And Pharaoh literally mocks God. Who's he? I'm Pharaoh. Who's he? And so for the next few weeks, we read in Scripture where God introduces himself to Pharaoh <laughs> with one plague after another. And every time a plague is let loose in Egypt, Pharaoh knew who had caused it, and he would go to Moses and ask for him to make it better. And every time he came to Pharaoh, every time Moses did, it seems... Moses said the same thing over and over again. Let my people go. Now, why does Moses do this? Why does it take this long? Why does it take ten plagues? Why didn't Moses just go back to the Israelites, gather them all up in Egypt, and head out? I mean, it's not like Pharaoh could have stopped God from rolling over his armies, right? If, if, if they would have pulled out and started going, could, could Egypt have stopped that? No. Here's a possibility. It's almost as if God, not that he needed it, but it was almost as if God was asking Pharaoh's permission for Israel to leave. I know God didn't need it, but I think he was saying to us that even if it's a bad leader, even if you don't agree with what's going on. And here it is, here's God's people in captivity for 400 years. God waits until Pharaoh says, okay, you can leave before they leave. Here's what it says. And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sat on his stone to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said and be gone. And then he closes with this. Go, but bless me. As you leave. God did not allow Israel to leave. Until the leader of Egypt. Pharaoh said. Okay. You can leave. Pharaoh was the authority in Egypt. And God might have just been setting the example for. Listen. You might not like everything that's going on. 
but you still have to respect the authority that has been placed over you. Now, another thing I've struggled with. Okay, we're supposed to submit to our leaders. We are not supposed to rebel against the leaders of our country. Y'all know how our country got started, right? And we started for Christian reasons. We said, all right, uh, we're going to rebel against the king. And this is open. This is more than just disagreeing with policy. This is we're going to rebel. This is people who are saying we are Christians and we are going to rebel against the king. And I think Christians have some have struggled with this for decades. If Christians should be subject to their authorities and if American founding fathers were mostly Bible believing, God fearing men, why did they rebel against King George? Why was there a revolution? Didn't they trust God? That's a good question. And I don't know if we have a real good answer for that, but let me let me share some things with you how I think that maybe, and again, I say maybe, I'm not saying this unequivocally, I'm saying maybe these are some things we should consider about the American Revolution. First, there was the fact that much of the call of the revolution came from pulpits in churches throughout the colonies. Okay? The churches were the ones that were saying, listen, this is right. This is what we should do. The, the preachers would stand in the pulpits, and, and they were often referred to as the black-robed regiment. King George said he feared them more than he feared the colonial soldiers in the field. And so the, the plea came from the leaders in the churches. And then secondly, the American Revolution was one of the only revolutions in the history of mankind that was even successful, right? A lot of the uh, revolutions that, that happened ended up like the one in France where just scores and scores and scores and scores and thousands of people uh, died and people were even executed there in public by the guillotine and there was unbelievable corruption. And I, I think America's revolution was one remarkable exception to the rule that, that revolutions just don't usually end well. On top of that, the third thing is this. It seems to me, when you look at events that happen, and there's story after story that's been chronicled throughout history of, of what seemed like just miraculous, God-led things that happened. And I'm only going to share one because I don't have time for a bunch, but think about this for a moment. October 1780, four years into the Revolutionary War, a storm known as the Great Hurricane pounded the West Indies for seven straight days. On October the 10th, the hurricane first struck Barbados with winds estimated at 200 miles an hour and destroyed nearly all of the houses, including those that were made of stone. British forts were demolished. And there wasn't a single tree that remained standing, the history books tell us. And this storm not only destroyed things on the island, but it destroyed a lot of the ships that were out at sea. The British fleet, which was in harbor at St. Lucia, lost eight of its 12 ships. Now, I'm not a math major, but that's almost 75%, right? That is, that's right on 75%. Yes, okay, all right, I'm looking back here at Mrs. Richardson. Yes, she, okay, very good. 75%, lost eight of the 12 ships, hundreds of sailors. One British warship 
was dumped on top of a hospital. And historians believe that the ships lost in this disaster led to the colonists defeating uh, the British in the Battle of Chesapeake, which ultimately allowed George Washington to force the British Army to surrender. Is that an accident? Coincidence? The great hurricane, as it's referred to, uh, it cost the British forces so much. And, it, it, and you know what else it did? It got the people who were in England even more fired up. Those people who were saying, no, we don't need this war. We need peace. It got them more fired up. And, and they start complaining about this long and expensive revolutionary war that's being fought. Ultimately, this persuaded Parliament to give the Americans their independence that they so wanted. So you say, okay, what are you saying, Ron? <laughs> Was it a good thing? Are we supposed to be here? Why would God seemingly honor the revolutionists in America and not in other places? And here's some reasons that I think we have to take into consideration. First is this. Um, they were appealing to God for help as a nation, as a as a nation of believers, they were first of all constantly offering prayers to God. In the churches, in the state houses, especially in the Continental Congress, they were appealing to God for guidance. They were appealing to Him for direction and protection. One prayer in Continental Congress, historians say, went on for three hours and that was very much the norm. They were genuinely seeking God. Next, America's leaders constantly appealed to Britain for relief. As late as April of 1775, the colonists still did not be, want to become independent. They just wanted to have their grievances resolved. Next, even when war was declared, they were sti still appealing for peace. Even after the war started, the English forces were bottled up at Boston January 1, 1776. George Washington raised a new flag on Prospect Hill for British forces to see. It's called the Grand Union flag. I don't know how many of you have seen this or not, but uh, you notice anything unusual about this flag? Well, it looks like an American flag, doesn't it? The strike or the stars would normally be, it's the British flag, it's the Union Jack, and it's as if George Washington was saying, listen, even though we're in this battle, even though we want our independence, we still respect you, we still honor you as basically our, our motherland, but we are determined in this fight to, to win our independence. Now with all that said, what do we do? What's that mean for us? So we can look at all these things. We can look at the Bible and all these things that happened all throughout history in the Bible. And we can look at all these things that happened in our nation. What does that mean to us today when we're dealing with authority? When we're sitting out there going, you know, you know what? I don't know if I can do that. I, I love a good Bill Clinton joke. You might be sitting there thinking that. I love a good Donald Trump joke. That might be your thought. What do we do when dealing with this? First of all, I think it, 
According to Scripture, we always treat them with respect. And I don't think this is negotiable. Whether we agree with them or not, that, that's off the table. Forget about that, right? Treat them with respect no matter who they are, what they've done, what they stand for. You are obligated as a servant of the Most High God to show the leaders respect because God's placed them there. Second, you and I must always look to God for our protection. Our protection is not found in anything here anyway. And, and, and you're well, listen, you, you are welcome to write your congressman. You are welcome to defend yourself in court. You are welcome to file briefs and, and, and motions and stand in protest lines, I guess, till the cows come home. But do it respectfully. And if you ever take your eye off of God in this whole process, you're going to fail. Because here's what God promised us in chapter uh, 127 of the book of Psalm, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. And so it doesn't really matter. God's in control anyway. After the revolution was won, America had a declaration of independence, but they still didn't have a constitution. And uh, that the Constitution that we have almost didn't get approved. I don't know if you know that or not. And at the Constitutional Convention, 1787, the representatives of this new nation, they all gathered together and they started to vote on that document. But the problem was this. Now that they had won the war, a lot of them found out that they didn't really like each other all that much. <laughs> and so they start bickering back and forth. A lot of them had different ideas about this. A lot of them had different ideas about this. And it's filled. the room was filled with hatred and name-calling. There wasn't a man present who had any real hope of finding an effective solution to what now we have as the greatest document in our history. Then Ben Franklin rose to speak. Here's what he said, and I want to read this verbatim so I get it right. Of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor, and have now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do, you, or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. I also believe that without his Concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders at the Tower of Babel. And we shall be divided by our little, partial, local interests. Our projects will be confounded. And we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse? And I want this to be on the screen. What is worse? I didn't give that to you to put on the screen. It's the next part I want on the screen. 
Mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing government by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, or conquest. This is what I want on the screen. I therefore beg and move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. It's it's no accident that our nation has become what it's become. There's no accident. God's hand has been in it, for sure. Even if we didn't do it the right way, I, I don't know. But here's what we can do moving forward. What would happen if every time we were tempted to be critical of our government leaders, Instead, we prayed for them. What would happen if every time we were tempted to post something that we find amusing or degrading about our leaders, instead, we found a reason to honor them? And I'll tell you right now, in case any of you didn't know, I've never really said this publicly. Most of you probably already know. I'm a registered Republican. Might shock some of you. Joe Biden to do well. I want him to be successful. I want our nation to flourish. There's things that he supports that I'll never be able to go along. But I'll be honest, his predecessor, there were things I didn't care for sometimes either. But that's not where my hope lies. My hope lies in the one who created every government leader that exists and who has placed every single government leader in their position. There's things I'll never agree with, but God has not granted me permission to dishonor them. Dishonoring our leaders is basically saying the same thing as I dishonor God and I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And I don't want you to do that either. Now, in a moment, we're going to offer a song of decision. I know this isn't necessarily a, a sermon that's really probably said, oh, wow, I need Jesus now. Or maybe it is. We're going to offer a song of decision here in a moment for you to publicly confess him maybe you want to be baptized into him maybe you need to repent of some things but here's what I want us to do as we wrap up and as the worship team comes I want us to to genuinely pray about how we can honor those who have been placed in authority over us even if we don't agree with them so would you stand with me and and I'm just going to have, uh, maybe, Sandy, would you just play a little bit on the piano as some background music? And before we dive into this closing song, uh, would you just spend a few moments yourself silently talking to the Lord about what he would have you to do with what we've talked about today in his word? Let's bow together.